0: They say can't be done We've got a long way to go And a short time to get there I'm Eastbound, just watch right no bandit run Keep your foot hard on the pedal Some devil mind them brakes. Let it all hang out cause we gotta run Welcome to
1: Highway Freaks. This is your host, J-Man. I'm filling in for Guy. He'll be with us shortly. I'm here with our two ladies, Ramblin' Rose. Canadian lady trucker, and wild man Will. So how are you guys this week? Cold. Cold?
2: Big, degrees. Oh, breeze. Yes, on, on my, on my, on my weather bike uh, there was an igloo. <laughs> 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 There's enough snow to build one up here, that's for sure. <laughs> A couple of them. <laughs> it's
1: 70 degrees here in Phoenix.
2: Oh. oh.
3: You lucky, nice. air on. <laughs> you lucky, lucky Emma! <laughs> I swear. We, we 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 got like three feet of snow down here. It's minus thirty four. You know. It was <laughs>
1: hell to get here. Yeah, it was. It was. uh yeah. I hit a brutal storm in uh, Nevada. Excuse me, folks, but we meant to tell you that Wyoming is closed. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> somebody was somebody was saying it, it was uh, closed uh, indefinitely. So it must yeah, be pretty bad there right now.
2: It's bad down there, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's where uh, <laughs> Brian's got to go across the 80. Again.
2: Oh, I told him. I he's said, I, yeah, I said, I hope you're not. Yeah, yeah. I said, I hope you're not headed to Wyoming. It's closed, and he's like, Oh well, yeah. I was headed that way. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, lot. I food. don't, I don't miss that. I don't miss that part at all. Wyoming, no, no, don't miss the winter driving. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's pretty bad in Oregon too.
2: That yeah, 84,
1: that 84 stretch.
2: Yeah, that can get icy, but I 80 and I 25 going down through Wyoming are a nightmare.
1: Oh, all year round, all year round.
2: All year. Yeah, I always got. You know, to- if
1: it if it isn't ice and snow and wind, it's uh, blistering heat and wind. Yeah. So tell us, Rose, what's your what do you what's your topic for today?
2: I'm gonna do a movie review on Megan. Um. And she is uh, a marvel of artificial intelligence, a life-like doll programmed to be a child's greatest companion and a parent's greatest ally. Designed by a brilliant toy company, Robotic Gemma, Megan can listen and watch and learn as she becomes a friend and teacher, playmate and protector for the child she is bonded to. As Gemma faces pressures at work to deliver a finished version of Megan, she suddenly becomes the unprepared caretaker for her newly orphaned eight-year-old niece Katie. Gemma decides to pair Megan, prototype with Katie, in an attempt to resolve both problems. And a decision that will have unimaginable consequences. And I said at the part of the movie when Megan says. This is the part when you run. We knew we were gonna have problems. <laughs> so I I personally thought it was I I as Brian says, I would give it five air fresheners out of five. Um, it's just it's um, a realistic, futuristic type and they're like, Oh, and how much is this gonna cost? Uh, and she's like, well, and like Tesla high, and the girls like are thumb down. So about $10,000 average, and they're anticipating that in a year it will be the doll that everybody has to have. And of course, you know, nothing is flawless. So these little problems start popping up, and then the people who are programming it go, hey, now, what's what, what supposed to do that? And of course, there's the overbearing, money power driven boss who says, we're going to kick Hasbro into the-. And then there's the those irritating neighbor who you know is going to be dead by the end of the movie, and, um, and then there's all of he's downloading, he's around the employee. You know, there's all like these all these characters that are kind of always in the in the movie. You can start picking them out, you know. So it was it was just really fun. Um, I I enjoyed it, and um, I recommend that anybody if you get a chance try and see it. We have it on Voodoo. I don't think it's still in the theaters, but it's basically. You know any streaming uh, channel has it, but then an interest um, avenue on it is there are also other creepy movie dolls. Can anybody? Annabelle consider? that was one of them. Yeah, Annabelle okay. was from The Conjuring, yep. doll. and then you know, I have a Chucky and I have a Tiffany. Like, they're probably not freaky either. The good sized ones are not just a little and. Um, I got to thinking, you know, I don't have room in my house right now, and they're in a box shed. Uh, I'm hoping. Leave them they there, man. They're gonna mad. get you. Uh, I'm all hoping they don't get mad about being in the shed and try and make their way out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so,
1: I don't. I don't know if it's been made into a movie yet. But if you want some good spooky reading, you can read about uh, Robert the Doll. I don't know if they've made a movie about that yet. Kind of.
2: Same, little, I same I was
1: kind
2: gonna, of thing. Yeah, I it. it's a good thing. It's like Annabelle. Like, Anna bell. like uh, yeah, I was on uh, my um gonna try and find that movie list that Robert rings the bell. And then of course there's Bra. Did anybody see The Boy and The Boy Two? No. Freaking creepy movies. And his name is Bra. And yeah, it's so, those are two very good creepy movies along these same lines. So that's my movie review of Megan. Right. Was, uh what is she? There's actually a word for her it here just a second. The Megan is short for Model 3 Generative Android. That's what Megan actually stands for. And then I've got a couple of wow. the uh, soapbox to stand on and a couple other things. Alright. Well, we have additional info on the Drivers ink that I got, that I was thinking about last week, I believe. Um, Apparently, there's a growing number of uh, court cases where, when drivers leave these companies, because of course then they begin to realize that they were entitled to, you know, overtime and holiday pay and and all the stuff that employees are supposed to be getting. Um, there is a lawyer that has been dealing almost exclusively with these kind of cases. Um, her name is Carol Wallace, and she says at any at any given time. She's dealing with at least three cases that are disputing whether they're workers or employer, employees, right? Or independent contractors. Oh, okay. Right? Um, and the courts are deciding that, uh, for the most part, they're employees because companies are forced to, and then companies are forced to hand over the vacation pay, the holiday pay, overtime, and everything that they were supposed to actually pay in the beginning. And then on top of that, they've got the EI, the, the employment insurance, uh, the ski and the taxes. The company is then being held responsible for pay off. So in the end, you know, the company originally wanted to get away with paying less. And now they're ending up paying more, which I have no problem with. <laughs> um, they're also facing a lot of uh, administra- administrative penalties. Um, and it's applying to uh, various labor code violations. One company was actually required to pay $3,000 in penalties in December of last year under Part 3 of the labor code in Canada. Really? uh, Yeah, yeah. And these companies are not always exclusively... I'm speaking tonight. These companies are not exclusively found because an employee has in the complaint, sometimes it's because the employee has actually gotten hurt at work, and suddenly, oh gee, they forgot to pay workers' comp, but they didn't have to because they're technically an employee. So now the employer is getting fined and charged. You know, it's doing a complete one eighty on them now. So, um, and the Ontario Workplace Safety and Insurance Board is has been doing audits and raising questions. Um, you know, when they got the truck registration, the CVORs, um, and it's showing numerous trucks, but only two employees. So these, this is another way that they're finding these companies finally, right? So, I mean, when when you're looking at, the courts are saying, no, these guys are employees, they're not independent contractors, And then you've got the labor code stating that, yes, they're employees, not contractors. And, you know, there's so many so many aspects of this. It's gonna be really hard for for this uh this organization, association to to try and push this through. You know, Is they, it gonna happen? No, because you know, the regulations are looking at um, you know, does the driver work exclusively for that employer? Well, yeah, usually they do. Um there's also things they look at like um they control the nature of the work. Well no the company controls the nature. Yeah, they own their own tools. No. Most of them don't even own the wrench. Um, no. see and there's there's situations where you can have independent contractors, but it's not in this kind of situation. Like you've got internet cable providers that subcontract um workers that have their own their own vehicles, their own those are true independent contractors. But yeah, that's that's what they're looking at. It's it's also you know do, do they have a stake in the business, success or failure? No, basically they don't. Um, yeah, if suddenly a whole bunch of drivers quit, then yeah, it could affect the company. Um, but in general, no, they they really have nothing to do with um, you know the profits or losses of a company. True enough. Right. So and and. That was just something that happened to come up in my news feed at one point uh, in the last couple of days. So I thought I'd add that in because it's kind of an update.
1: Okay. Uh, Before we get to uh, my topic, how about you, Will? What kind of interesting information do you have
3: for us? There's a tool that that, that was developed by a... Now, I'm not singling anybody out, but it was by a Russian man, right? And... um, this tool was, uh, distributed to a bunch of, you know, uh, malicious actors. And, uh, the guy that, the, the person that actually made it he just got extradited to the U.S. Uh, to face criminal charges. Now, um, it's a tool called, uh, NL, uh, NL Brute. So, uh, what it basically does is it brute forces your RDP, which is your, your remote desktop protocol. So, um... For you, for people who don't know what that that is, that's um one of the ways to get into somebody's desktop on their computer. So and and this is why we always tell people uh put a put a password um on your home screen even because uh and and try not to make it a, a pin. Try to make it something a little bit more uh, safe. Um, I I honestly didn't know about this tool until the other day. But RDP stands for Remote uh, Desktop Protocol, and basically all someone has to do is type in um, rem- remote our, our desktop and the IP address of the person and the tool, and it'll basically go through a list, a, co- a combination list of um, usernames and passwords and just log in to your uh, desktop. That's literally the easiest way into a computer. and. Uh, someone distributed to uh, a whole bunch of malicious actors that ended up you know uh, hacking into a whole bunch of uh, high-profile systems so uh, yeah I don't know Um, since finding out that this is easily done by remote desktop um, if you have a computer and you got uh, some taxes on that I would um, switch your passwords from uh, digits to uh, letters numbers and symbols any questions
2: that's interesting. Letters, numbers, and symbols.
3: Yeah. So a password write that with.
2: Write down. if you're lucky. Was that right? I said and I write that down because anybody, everybody's like me. Uh, I can't remember one password. To. I, I, that's why I never understood how some people hack when I can't even remember my own password. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's so. Because they get the computers to do it for them. Yeah. They. they, oh. they, they
3: yeah. They automate the the response. The responses, right? So. But yeah, um for passwords with uh letters and numbers, you're probably looking at um, I don't know, in the neighborhood of ten minutes to an hour to crack your password. If you add uh just a simple, you know, a special character like exclamation mark or an at sign or both, um, it takes almost a hundred times as long to crack that password. There's uh I, I I know people that'll spell their name with just uh symbols and stuff and I, I, the, 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 those people are safe, but you know, if if your password is A B C twenty seven eighty eight because of your birthday and whatever, you you probably you probably should change that.
2: <laughs> so do like, so say my name is Rose, then do that in in symbols or letters, whatever would correspond with that symbol or letter.
3: Yeah. So
2: and then add add more something else to it.
3: Yeah, so for okay. exa- example, um on your phone, uh most people know this that if you hold down the letter, it'll uh come up with um different languages, right? So uh different languages for that letter, like so h hyphen or whatever. Um if if <laughs> if you want to increase your chances of not getting hacked, then um I would use one of those uh characters as well. I, I, but I, I, it's kind of hard to do if, if you're doing it on computer. Um, I, I, I only know how to do it on, on, on mobile, so, uh, but yeah, like, um, or if, if, if you don't, like, uh, wanna, uh, just be able to log in, log in on your phone, you could, uh, like, like for rows, j- just as an example, for the S, I would put a dollar sign, right? uh mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And then, and then try, try to make sure, though, that, um, it, it's a mix of letters, numbers, and symbols.
1: Wow, that's pretty interesting. I don't know how I can even remember stuff like that.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh...
1: Well, we had a tremendous, um, loss on February 15th. Um, jo Raquel Miata died. You don't know who she is, do you?
3: Unfortunately, no. I'll give
1: you a hint. I'll give you a hint. Give it to me. She became famous in a movie called The Fantastic Voyage. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I seen it. It was made in 1966. Um, they shrink a, 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 a shift down, and they inject it into a scientist, and they go through his body, and they try to save him. It was kind of a cool show. But what made her absolutely famous was a movie called One Million BC.
2: Raquel Welch.
1: I'm talking about. I'm talking about Raquel Welch. Amazingly, she became. An instant sex symbol after that movie, and she only has three lines in the whole show. But then again, I guess when you look that good, you don't need to
2: talk. <laughs> what were those, Twenty four, thirty <laughs> six. I have no <laughs> I mean, idea, but... What is 34, I think, or something, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: But no. what's really funny, what's really, really funny is yeah. she always, she didn't like... The sex symbol um notoriety she didn't like it she didn't really think that she was (laughs) a sex symbol but she Raquel Welch actually brought an end to the blonde the blonde bombshell if you look at the movies in the 1960s the late 60s more and more brunettes and redheads were being cast yeah
2: that is
1: true it it is true and um she there's there's a funny quote from her um she uh, <laughs> she was interviewed uh, about uh, her her fame, and uh, she says, uh, quote, this is her quote, um, talking about her big break. She says, the Lord was watching over me or something, because otherwise, why? I mean, there's no reason for me to be, top, be on top of a volcano in, in a deer bikini shooting a dinosaur movie. And when I came back, I was, I'm a superstar. It's just nutty. That was her quote. She did never did understand it. But I mean, she basically became a poster woman for the women's movement. And uh, and sadly, she died on February 15th. There's still um, no. I can't find what she died of. All all I can find is that it was a brief illness, and she died quietly at her home. She was married. She was married four times. Uh, she had two children. Uh one is an actress. I can't find her name.
2: Yeah, it's like uh C A H it's kinda of pronounced like Tanya. She was in Cocoon. The original Cocoon. She was one of the of the uh aliens, aliens that came down. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. That that to my knowledge, that's the only role I know about her, but that for sure was her. It's like Tanya Yeah, Well she and was uh someone. It
1: was Tawny, Tawny. Well,
2: Tawny, or Tawny,
1: Tawny. uh, I can't find her. All it says is she has two. All that I could find was she has two uh, children. She was very private. She was a very private lady. Um, She didn't like a lot of fanfare. Um, uh, She did, uh, and she constantly fought. Um, They were in most of the movies that she did. They were constantly trying to get her to do nude scenes, and she wouldn't do it she like flatly refused and she ended up suing getting into a lawsuit with um 20th century fox and she would eventually win but it they labeled her as it almost got her blacklisted um they labeled her as as difficult to work with but she was uh she was a, she was a very she was one of the very first to have uh fitness videos remember the fitness the fitness craze of the 80s you had uh Oh, uh, what was what was her name?
2: Oh, well, Jane Fonda had one. Jane Fonda,
1: that's the one. Jane Fonda. Uh, Raquel Welch was the first. She was the very first to have um, the fitness videos out, and then Jane Fonda followed, and then all of a sudden, all the stars were coming out with them. Um, she was a very, very smart business lady, and sadly, you know, she just uh, died. She was 82 years old. She retired in 2017. Um, and it was it just a big loss for the entertainment world? And that's all I can really say. She was a gorgeous lady.
2: Yeah, lost a lot of uh, very famous people since the beginning of the year. I haven't heard of anybody recently since look how well it's passed on the fifth, but um there's been a lot since the beginning of the year.
1: Yes, yes. She was in a movie I remember. It was a good movie too. It was done in the seventies. Um it was called it's one of my favorite movies. It's called Mother Jugs and Speed. And what it was about was uh um ambulance workers. They were a crew of ambulance uh um attendants. And uh of course you know what who Jug was, that was Michael Welch. But Bill Cosby, <laughs> Bill Cosby was in it, and I can't the for the life of me remember the other guy. But um it was a good movie. Yeah it was. It was, it was it it was a good movie. And uh another thing today, um, if you are a fan of uh Big Bang Theory uh uh what the hell is it? um Leonard Leonard and what are the um
3: There's Sheldon. Where were the two characters The Sheldon and Leonard Sheldon
1: and Leonard well their namesake his birthday is today Sheldon and Leonard were named after the late great Sheldon Leonard Now back in the day if you've ever seen if you ever seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life which most people have Sheldon Leonard played the bartender Nick and he was already famous by then. He always because of his voice. He always played he was a radio actor and he played always played gangsters or or heavies or um he did a lot of comedy um but most famously he was he was uh famous for bringing the very first black person to a leading role in television. And that person was Bill Cosby. He Made Bill Cosby a star, and it was it's his birthday today. He's well, he's dead, but he was born today. He's yeah. one of my favorite actors.
2: The um he in that movie was Harvey Keitel. Are you kidding that me? Was, that was yeah, Harvey no. Keitel. Harvey Keitel. Uh, Bill Cosby plays mother. Harvey Keitel plays right. Christian, and what well Wow, I didn't used. know that. Mm-hmm. I
1: did not know that.
2: Larry Hagman was in that movie too. It's
1: been years since I've seen it.
2: Yeah, it came out in nineteen seventy six.
1: Yeah, it was a good show. I liked it. There were so many good movies back then. I mean, up t- <laughs> a really funny one was Uptown Saturday Night. That was with Bill Cosby. Wow.
2: Well, um,
1: but but apparently you're not allowed to like Bill Cosby anymore because he's an evil doer.
2: He's keeping a low profile
1: lately. Yeah. Well, Hollywood's just best cool as slime anyway. So yeah. If you if you if you start uh, hating on actors for shit that they've done, well, then you're not even going to be watching TV. Most of them are, most of them are on the, uh, well, a lot of them are on that Epstein list. So what does that tell you? Yeah. So. I
2: would say hold the the mirror up and look at the reflection and then go judge others, you know?
1: You know, know, so I just don't, I just stay out of it. What they do in their personal life is none of my business. They get busted for it. Oh, well, it's not going to make me hate the movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not going to probably go out and see any of them anymore, but. You know, if it was a good movie, it was a good movie,
2: right? Yeah. Like I liked well, um, Kevin Kevin Spacey, uh, in American Beauty. Um he was a very good actor.
1: He was an odd awesome so
2: many Yeah. Didn't make so many great life choices, but yeah. Yeah, but he got
1: uh he was found not guilty. Yeah, but I mean the damage yeah, is yeah, done, it's all, too late.
2: Right, with all with all that, yeah.
1: You know, too it doesn't matter whether he did it or didn't, he's guilty he, he, in the eyes of the people. He's guilty. And
2: speaking of court case, is anybody watching Alex Murdoch from from uh, South Carolina on court TV accused no. of killing his wife and his son. Oh, and, I oh heard about that. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm riveted. He, uh was a witness in his own defense today, which everybody was just shocked that he was willing to stand up there and defend himself. And so the his defense attorney questioned him all morning long. And I mean, the guy, it's like he just flip-flopped. Well, logically the evidence says, yeah, he did it, but then his emotions are just overwhelming. I mean, he's got like tears falling back coming out of his nose. I mean, he just can't hardly even be so overcome with emotion and then they gave him some, you know, handkerchiefs, and then he, like, gets himself together, and he did a lot of bad business feelings, he a lot of money off of his law, office, and he's, like, admitting that totally. I did it, it was wrong, I was hooked on OxyContin, you know, I was living this lavish lifestyle, I I just made a lot of bad choices, but that doesn't mean I killed my wife and my son. And so you kind of flip-flop, and now this afternoon the defense started in on him, and then, of course, you know, it's time we'll pick it up again tomorrow. But wow, it's going to be really, really exciting when that verdict comes out because you just waver back. I mean, he's just got people wavering back and forth. He had the jury crying when he was talking about his wife. Uh, he was South Carolina and he was a lawyer. And so it's just really riveting right now because his defense attorney's talking in this morning. Now it was the prosecution talking to just trying to, you know, pull his life apart. And um, so the verdict is really going to be shocking, really one way or the other, you know, that if through all this, they do find him guilty. When there is really no blood evidence, there's really nothing, there was nothing on him, there's, you know, there is nothing evidence-wise. Brian, you're so glad you're here. What do you have to contribute to the podcast tonight?
1: Well, Rose, <laughs> I was, uh, stuck on a mountain. Don't call me mountain. Oh, no. that's You know that. That's my excuse. Um, <laughs> uh, so, did you, uh, did did you did don't do want to, to that. I want to have the stage here for a minute. Um, you know, um, I know, this guy joins and just takes over, eh? Okay, so you know what? Um, I do want to say something. There, There is a slogan that we use. It's called Real Truckers, Real Life. And you know what? We are living it, Jay and I. Um, and I can tell you why. Because literally, I just joined this podcast after going down a god-awful mountain with about 40 miles an hour winds that were blowing the heck out of me. And, you know what, we're not some retired truck drivers sitting in a cushy building and bantering about the, what's what's life. We are doing it. And,
2: you know what, uh, we don't get paid for it. You'll get your dick. You'll get your dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't get paid for it, okay? I don't
1: pay Ramblin' Rose, okay? I don't pay Canadian lady trucker Janet, okay? We'll get a so, uh, weekly stipend, okay, and that's because he edits the podcast, and Jay and I actually do money out of our pocket for you truck drivers that are listening to this podcast, and for anybody else that's listening to this podcast, we're entertaining you. We take time out of our day, don't we, Jay? Okay? Yep. Do we not? Yeah. We, we spend at least, at least two hours doing this, so in other words, we take about... Uh, somewhere in the area of about 100 miles off our our, uh, our night, okay? And I want to get something off my chest, okay? Um, and it's important because, like I said, there's lots of truckers podcasts out there, but you know what? Most of them are bogus BS. I've listened to a lot of them, okay? You can have all your topics. You can talk about your gear, drive, gear grinding. You can talk about, you know, how big your sleeper is. You know, you know what? are real guys doing it. Uh, recently, we had comments made um, about the quality uh, and sound of our podcast. You know why it sounds like this? I'll tell you why it sounds like this. It sounds like this because we're talking on a conference call on cell phones. Yep, get that. Okay, and we're on karaoke mics. We're not doing karaoke night. We're doing karaoke mics to eject our voice through this so you guys can hear it. Okay? And we pick these topics to entertain you. So if anybody has a problem with that, What, I don't here. wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna go down that road. No. I'm sitting here at Chief, Chief Joseph Hill, which is near Ellensburg, Washington. I think Jay's somewhere in California, right? Okay. No, I'm in in Phoenix. Okay, I'm sorry. I I stand corrected. Okay, Rose is in Billings, Montana, and Janet and uh her her son uh Will are in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. You tell me there's a podcast out there where you find Uh, some people seem to think that it's the religious statue. I'm here to tell you it's not. And once you hear the story, you'll find that out. And I'm also going to tell you about the 22 most beautiful women in Hollywood, alive and dead. Okay, so if you guys have any other topics, let me know, or I'll just carry on. Go
2: ahead, Brian. <laughs> you got the stage. Go ahead.
1: All right. You have the stage. I already I already talked about one of the most beautiful women in Hollywood that I just uh We'll get, to, we'll get to that in a minute, but I do want to talk about Our Lady of the Rocks. And my wife said it best tonight when I, I was telling her about uh, this issue that we had uh, with this particular topic. And she said,
2: don't people
1: realize that when you're coming down that mountain into Butte, that truckers want to see that lady up there lit up, especially in the winter? Because you will be shitting your pants if you go down that hill and it is pure ice. I guarantee it will make a mouse out of a man any day of the week. And when you see that lady, you know you're that close to safety. So that's the first thing I want to say. Now, this statue actually started with a promise from a man as his wife lay dying in a hospital bed from cancer. Bob Bill promised he would build a statue in the likeness of the Virgin Mary if she recovered from cancer horrible illness that she was dying of, and by miraculous, divine intervention, she lived. So, Bob carried on with his promise, and uh, it's it's just its a work of art, it's just so amazing, and it's such a great story. It's a 90-foot, 2-metre statue uh, that's actually built in a likeness of Mary, the mother of Jesus, okay? However, and I quote, it is not a religious symbol, okay? at the top the Continental Divide overlooking Butte, Montana. It's the fourth tallest statue in the United States. In fact, it rivals the Statue of Liberty. The base is 8,510 feet above sea level. It's 3,500 feet above the city of Butte, Montana. It sits on private land and it's quite lit and visible at night. And that's what I love about the lady. She does like the way for you to get down that mountain on back into Butte. The statue was originally conceived like I said, by Bob Bill in 1979, and it was a tribute to the Virgin Mary, but it's, what it's become now is it's actually become a tribute to women everywhere, I'll say that right now, especially mothers. So, um, yes, Bob Bill had some religious uh, values to him and his wife, but it's not a religious symbol. It's been actually tried in court many times by churches, and it's not that. Later on, the statue uh, itself uh, was constructed, I want to go into this, this is really cool. None of the money was spent by, like, large construction companies, guys. It was donations of money, materials, and labor from the local community. They all got together to build this thing. Um, The design was engineered by a worker of the Anaconda Copper Mining Company, who actually donated his skills free to the project. Work on the project began December 29, 1979. It took six years following that in September of 85 with 400 tons of concrete poured through the base of the statue. Now, when you think about this, that's a massive undertaking. You've got to blow hundreds and hundreds of rocks with dynamite. Okay, that's the first thing you have to do. Okay, then you get the base. Now, on December 17, 1985, six years later, a CH-54 Tar He. From the Army National Guard, the 137th Aviation Company, airlifted that statue. Now, here's the funny part: they were they were not equipped with the weight of the section, and they were doing one. That's a problem. But two, the other problem is the wind up there with uh, one of those uh, helicopters. It, it's just a it's an absolutely miraculous miracle that that this thing was built. Okay, it was built from four sections as well. The land was donated by uh, a guy, a cello, who owned the land. Now, of course, religion has to stick its nose up the ass of progress, doesn't it? Unfortunately, this statue did not get built and erected with controversy. Even prior to the statue being erected, some residents voiced opposition to the project on religious grounds. In 1981, invoking the doctrine of separation of church and state, Catholic priest father Edward Hislop was quoted in the Montana Standard Newspaper as saying, Although the statue is on private ground, it is clearly in a public place. The east ridge of that particular mountain has always belonged to the people of Butte, and that might be offensive to some of these people and pose certain difficulties. Now, in 1985, March, nationally syndicated advice columnist Ann Landers got involved. She published a letter from a reader, And it complained that one religious group in Butte, Montana, is forcing its religious Buttes beliefs rather on an entire city. So, in August 1994, the Freedom from Religion Foundation received notice from one of its members that the nearby Anaconda Job Corps was involved in building a chapel at the statue site in Butte, objecting to the use of federal. Reserves in a construction of a place of worship, the foundation filed a letter of complaint with the U.S. Department of Labor. So on September 11th, they ceased the job corps' involvement. Further controversy with the statue occurred in July 2005. A group of nearby homeowners sued the Our Lady of the Rockies group over plans to use a road near their homes to build a tram going up to the statue. Never mind the fact that they actually built a road, Bobble Bill and his people built the damn road going up to the statue at their cost, okay, and their materials. The plans were initially approved by the Butte District Court to bring in more tourism to the city. Makes sense, right? However, the Montana Supreme Court ruled in April 2008 that the road is, in fact, private and could not be used for a tram. Plans, this very day, still do not have a tram to be built. Now, there are some very cool ideas, pardon the pun, to dispel any idea of Our Lady of the Rock from toppling over by the strength of some of the Montana 100 plus mile per hour winds up on the East Ridge. Screens were actually installed on the sides of the 90 foot statue to allow wind to pass through the statue and relieve wind pressure. Thus, that statue, believe it or not, will never topple over. By the way, the Sky Crane's crew's official name for their unit's assignment was Ubecham Mission. The statue hands are eight feet long and each hand weighs 300 pounds. The two pieces lifted to the East Ridge on December 18, 1985 were 17,000 pounds and 19,000 pounds, 3,000 pounds more than the book says that the helicopter was supposed to carry. So it's conceivably possible to, at that altitude, to lift that, but Captain Mark Comstock of the second piece uh, of Rebellion Said that it was impossible, but it was done. And it was just by divine miracles that this thing was able to get built. So if you go on to Highway Streets, you'll see um, some pictures of the statue, okay, Our Lady. And you'll also go to YouTube, which is on my Facebook site. And if you press that button, okay, just skip over the commercials because they're annoying, but you will actually be able to. And see the whole story because once you're done watching the story, if you don't bring a tear to your eye, you're not human. Because it it is so absolutely cool that a town all got together to build that statue. It really is amazing. So and if you, and I know Jay, you've seen it lots of times. I know Janet, you've seen it. Um, Rose, have you ever seen it? Oh yeah, oh many many times. Okay. Been been to
2: been yeah. to views. Yeah. So when someone
1: tells me it's religious, it's not. Okay? Um, And it actually was, just one more thing to tell you about, the statue was divided and built in six sections, totally more than 60 tons. So it's an amazing, uh, you know, I I would call it like one of the the natural wonders of the world, because to build something like that in this day and age, you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it, because the way they did it was uh, was really uh, higher power. I did that, so um I just wanted to get that off my chest i've been- i have been, been talking about this topic for years and years and years. I took pictures um it's pretty cool at night, and it really does light the sky when you see her with a full moon behind her wow that's 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 a picture perfect uh you know thing to take and uh, leave it your camera on your phone, which i I have done in the past by the way, so there you go, Our Lady of the Rockies non-religious tribute to mothers and if you have any questions feel free to send them in to me throw all your comments throw all your anger at me i welcome you okay so there you go but if you're a truck driver you know how important that statue is to get into the city of June, especially in the winter well brian you know you got people <laughs> um that complain about seeing the American flag in America. So it's not hard to find somebody that will whine, bitch and moan about a statue. Not this day and age. You know, know, I'm surprised they haven't been protesting to take down the Statue of Liberty. That's how bad it's know Well, you know, this has a song, and and it's so appropriate. We're going to be playing it at the next podcast. It's called The World Has Gone Crazy. And it's so oh, yes. appropriate. Okay, so um, I guess I'll carry on here, guys. You uh, seem to uh, uh, be uh, soaking up the Disney uh, bride guy experience tonight. So I'm going to talk about the most beautiful women you've ever laid your eyes on in Hollywood. And Jayman, you talked about one that just passed away. She is number one. Yes, I did. Gal Welch. Uh, I I, I figured years, she was. Yep, yeah, one million years BC made her famous. Although she only had two lines to film. Did you know that? Yes I did. I did, did the biography on her, my friend. You missed and, it. And it was the no skin bikini she wore, which became the best selling yeah. coaster of all time next to Vera Fawcett. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 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 Now the number I, did, did I was didn't was I didn't mention that. Oh, okay. Okay, I, I got to fill in the. Blanks so for you. thanks for bringing that. No, thanks for thanks for adding that little tidbit of information. I didn't get into the posters. I had her poster and and Vera uh, So as usual, I'm always filling in the blanks for you. So there you go. Oh, oh
2: Jack. oh
1: you and your. God.
2: So number two, is Brian comes to
1: save the day. And then you wonder why. And then you wonder why I'm praying. <laughs> so number two is going to surprise you. I think you're gonna be very surprised. Um, I'm gonna give you a hint. She was in Alfred Hitchcock's film Vertigo. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Kim Novak. Yep. Yeah. She got her big break in 1958, and she uh, was only there till 1966 in acting, but she is considered one of the most beautiful women in Hollywood. I never would have guessed that, never. Okay, anybody a guess on number three while we're uh,
2: playing the guessing game here? got to be yeah, was number one. Hotel was ah. number one. Oh no no no! Marilyn
1: Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. She's got to be number three.
2: She's on the list, but she's not number three. Number three is Audrey
1: Hepburn. Yes. She got her big movie <laughs> in 1952. What this, What was the
2: movie in 1952? She started with Gregory Peck. Quick, Jay. No idea. Roman, I'm trying to remember. Roman. <sighs> okay. Um. Breakfast at Tiffany's
1: and My Fair Lady were hit movies that she shined in, and which chased her natural beauty. And it was her dark hair and classic <laughs> style of that of a lady that she stole the show that she was on. Uh, was
3: uh,
1: you should read what you should read what uh, Humphrey Bogart had to say to her, her about her. Hell of a fine lady, beautiful, beautiful lady. But as far as acting goes, she's fine if you don't mind doing thirty or forty retakes. He, wow. He, he did not. He okay. thought she was allowed the actress. Number four. This was going to surprise you. Give you a hint. She was a Scarface Batman, and she's a mainstay of women's Michelle TV. Piper. Exactly. Known for her beauty, appearance, and a youthful appearance. And of course, when you take blonde and you put red lipstick in, you get Michelle Piper. Number five. Number five is my next wife. Highest paid actress from 2017 to 2018. Jane, her beauty is unmatched. She strives both beautiful and youthful at the same time. She's a fantastic actress. She's extremely... She can go, like, from a criminal to a superhero. Who am I talking about? Any takers? No idea.
3: No idea. Charlie Theron.
1: Oh, yeah, she's a gorgeous girl. gal, isn't she? Number six, you've mentioned Marilyn Monroe. Uh, Norman G- Norma Jean Mortensen started her career off as a model. Her trademark blonde curls, bright red lipstick, and curves made her a sex bombshell. Okay, and now number seven. Number seven is a really good one. Okay, see if you know this one. The whole package has brains, body, beauty, started films Ecstasy, the female animal. Uh, she was also an inventor helped develop a radio guided system years during World War II, which resulted in technology to help build oh, yes. GPS. Who was that, Jay? Yes, I. That was the great Hedy Lamar. Excellent. Very good. Very very good. Okay. Most Janet, beautiful woman in the world. I'm gonna aim this one at Janet. Number eight. Oh. Who was an actress who became a princess? She became Princess of Monaco when she married oh. Prince Rainier III. Charm,
2: voice, and elegance made her an absolute beauty. Who is she? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know the last name. Oh, Grace Kelly. Got her. Okay, now the here's next an interesting.
1: One. Here's an interesting thing on Grace Kelly. There is a belief sure. that she was murdered. Yeah, I, I have you know heard that. that? I, have, I have heard that. Because she, hey. was an ac- she was an accomplished race car driver. Really? I That's right. Guessed that. I would never guess that. Okay, anybody can can answer this one. She's Swedish, okay? She was decades as an actress. She starred in numerous classic films, including State Fair, Bye Bye Birdie, Viva Las Vegas, Grumpy Old Men, and she even had a play with the... Can, Margaret? Bingo! Rose, you got it. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. All right. Here's the next one. She rose to fame as a teenager in 1944, National Celtic. She was electric beauty in Cleopatra. She's known for her stunning violet eyes, elegant style, and she even had a fragrant perfume that was a big seller. She's a huge icon Elizabeth one of Michael Taylor. Yes, one of Michael Jackson's best friends, Elizabeth Taylor. Okay. I'm having fun doing this. Number 11. She's a woman of many talents, actress. Singer, fashion model, she's known for roles in James Bond, Never Say Never Again, The Natural, and Nine and a Half Weeks, gorgeous woman with an iconic runway look. Who is she? Jim Basinger. Bingo! Yes! Okay. Number 12, I'll we'll mention, Sophie Loren, a great cinematic, uh, legendary, stunning actress, timeless beauty, and ancient looks. Notable films are the pride, and the passion, and it started in Naples, Two Women, and, um, she, of course, uh, goes with those things. She's absolutely stunning uh, herself. Now, here's number 13. See if you get this one. She's an Australian actress, singer, songwriter, and activist. She was she one, fest- good, one of the most... Very good, Janet. One of the best-selling art- artists of all time. Made a huge splash, Sandy and Greece, And she also found crossover success in country music mixed with pop. Okay, number 14. Well, you got to get in on this one. See if you get this one. Most notable role was Black Widow in Marvel Adventures. She's been referred to as the second coming of Audrey Hepburn. She's married to Saturday Night Live, Colin Hughes.
3: Is it Natasha Romanoff?
1: Well, that that's her name in Black Widow, yes. What's, who is who is her in real life?
3: Uh... I'll,
1: give you, I'll give you a hint. Her nickname is Scarjo.
3: Oh, Charlotte Johansson.
1: Right. I had to help you with that one. <laughs>
3: okay,
1: so here's one for you, ladies and Jade. And well, big role in age nineteen was TV series Dark Angel. She established the oh. gorgeous. She was established
2: the actress two thousand three movie Honey. And she has her own makeup skincare lines, making her a successful businesswoman who has to help a very good Janet. Excellent. Okay, <laughs> next one: Israeli American actress.
1: Okay, uh, her real name. I don't know. I, I won't tell you her real name yet. Her big role was in Star Wars Episode One, the Men of Menace. She was in *Evil*, *Vendetta*, *Black Swan*, and *Thor* Squeeze Jane in the *Thor* movies. Who is she? Wow. Nobody. No idea.
2: I I, okay. I, I not to the tip of my tongue, but I think she's the word. Is <laughs> yeah, so she
1: doing Wonder Woman? No. 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 Mm-hmm. She's, with, she's coming up. Natalie Hershlag was her real name. She goes by. Natalie Portland. Yeah. There you oh, go. Oh. Okay. Alright. So this one C- can change. I inter can I interject for a second? Can I interject Absolutely. for a second? Sure. I have I can't sit here and play anymore. I have to go and work. Okay. See? Real truckers. Real no. Back in a moment. had her career as a model and beauty contestant. She's known for Monsters Ball, X-Man, Catwoman. She played Jinx as a hey, Bond girl. Catwoman. Go ahead.
2: So it's gotta be, uh, Halle Berry.
1: Yes. Allie Berry, yes. yeah number lady. 18. She is very, very beautiful. Very exotic looking. And Gail Gadot is number 18. She's the former Miss Israel from 2004. She served two years in Israeli Defense Forces, guys. And she is not only a strong, drop-dead, gorgeous, beautiful superhero, but she is actually um, quite defensive in uh, from, you know, the forces in Israel. Kind of crazy. Now, number 19. This is a good one. She rose to stardom co-hosting a two TV shows on Univision in late 1990. 2003, she pursued acting in an English film called Chasing Puppy. Her breakout role was Gloria in Modern Family. She's married to Jill Mantegna, played a werewolf in the Twilight Zone movies. Who is she? Oh... Uh, Eva, that's now
2: on H-E-T. Yeah,
1: um...
2: Um... Yeah, um... <laughs> yeah, um... <laughs> uh, she's got a real exotic out. Uh, she does commercials,
1: too, for
2: different products. Sofia Vergara. So- yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. All
2: right. picture but... Number 20. She's
1: exotic-looking with mesmerizing eyes. She's known for Transformers, Jennifer's Body, and Teenage Ninja Turtles. She's ageless. She actually looks 25. But she has terrible choice in men, a.k.a. Machine Space Kelly. Yes, I know
2: who it is. Oh, I think it's like, like Megan Fox or something. Yes. I don't even know who she yes. is, but I... Very I good, Rose. Yeah. Okay. All right, we got two more.
1: Okay, so she's a former sports illustrated swimsuit model in the late 1970s and 80s. She's the face of covergirl for 25 years. Very good, Rose. Former Billy Joel, she has appeared in over 500 magazine covers, and she's a beauty symbol for all women acting and illustrating photography, writing, activist for human and animal rights, and a successful businessman. Okay, now, the last one, if you don't guess this, Will... I don't know. I'll be very shocked. They okay. and we're going to aim it at Will. Okay, she is elegant, beauty, charm, fast-wit, comedic ast actress. Her breakthrough role was Jackie Burkhardt on that 70s show. She's married to Kelso life Vashti Kutcher, one of those actresses, beautiful without makeup. Who is this Russian beauty? Will.
3: Isn't that, isn't her name like Mila something? Oh yeah, okay, Mila Kunis. Yeah, okay, uh, yeah. I I I, I kind of remember that. Now if 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 you would have asked me who Donna was, I would have had no clue.
1: <laughs> okay, that edible really does kick in. It
3: does. <laughs> uh, just, uh, uh, bro, I'm like, I'm like a bunch of them down right now, so. <laughs> but he, he, do, he
1: doesn't do this when he edits our podcast. I mean, he does. <laughs>
2: That Are
1: you was, so he, sure of that? Are you he, so sure of that? Well, you never know. He might he, he <laughs> have broke sounding like Mickey Mouse and dead sounding like Donald Duck. And you know, <laughs> I'd probably be sounding like Grover
2: from Sesame Street. I'd you know? probably have me sounding like Marvin the Martian. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you mean the hey, guy I that was going to be so
1: angry. <laughs> that guy, uh, the, guy that, the guy that goes, you make
2: me so, so angry. You make me so angry
4: anybody else do? Hey, <laughs> any, does anybody else do impressions, by the
1: way? Oh, anybody, my name is my neighbor, Herman. Oh, oh. <laughs> 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 how about oh, you, do you, do? do you, can you do Mae West? No. Oh come on!
2: <laughs> is that no, one- I
3: also can't. <laughs> oh. what, do you do any Will? Oh, I only do a uh, a little Alien, and I I I I can't remember how to how to do the other one. I um. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I uh, can, can you do ducks? Like... Very good. <laughs> <laughs> there we
1: go. So we all can do impressions. We, just I make, just, but we can
2: do I, impressions. I just, I just bark at my ducks and they get pissed off at me.
3: <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'm saying. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I won't choir say taste. the word.
2: I will not say the word S-I-N-G because otherwise we'll be serenaded by the beautiful Ramsey, and we don't want that at the moment. <laughs> oh, that, would, that would be so
1: cool to have Ramsey on the phone. We've got to put Ramsey on the podcast. We will do that next time. <laughs> <laughs> we got to have Ramsey on the podcast. He
2: he will make
1: the podcast. So I'm gonna,
2: podcast I'm gonna have number it. 24. I'm going I'm to uh, have to find a video of C-O-W-F. I can't okay. say the word because he knows the word. Or I'm going to have to loop one of the commercials with the D-O-G's in it because he'll go crazy and he'll start singing.
3: Oh, man, he so he, he sings loud, uh, too.
2: That's cool. Okay,
1: so that's my topic on beautiful women. Maybe next week we'll talk about the men that are the handsome uh, for the ladies. they the most... Handsome debonair men. So, Rose, you have a topic—something uh, about staying neutering your animals. Do you want to tell me about it?
2: Right. Well, I um, I did a few of these last week, and I kind of—they're kind of fun. It's like what days are coming up. Um, and so, the twenty fifth of February is International Sword, sword Swallowing Day. Intake, and it is also the Eat Right Day. And the, hey, let's open that bottle up tonight's <laughs> day. <laughs> Do some fun, <laughs> crazy. Um, and then you've got uh, February 27th is mm-hmm. International Polar Bear Day, National Pokemon Day, National Strawberry Day, and National Eat a Big Breakfast Day. So you know what I
1: think? Know, think just, can I huh. interject? I think somebody's eating a bunch of edibles making up these days.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not even. <these laughs> I'm finding
1: them on the internet. I'm finding like, them on the internet. Like, so. can, can you imagine, Janet? Like, hey man, hey, let's let's have international carpet day.
2: Yeah. Let's, <laughs> no, no,
1: no, no. Well, let, well, uh, let, let's have international chip day. No man, then, no man. <laughs> I got something. Let's have international tree day.
2: Brownie Day, man.
1: <laughs> brownie Day, man. How about International Fungus Day, man? I just had it on my foot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the 21st was uh, National Pancake Day. We had talked about that last week. And then yeah. uh, my son said that I had to make pancakes since it was too cold and snowy. And we weren't going all the way down to IHOP for free pancakes, so I made pancakes. But February is also National Spay and Neuter Month. And actually, um, February 28th is actual World Say Day. And this is an extremely passionate subject for me. Um, I just happened to post on, uh, I made a comment on a post that showed this trucker who had a dog, very beautiful, great Dane dog, and obviously was taking well care of, and they were showing some of the little things that he did. And then he's climbing up some stairs, and there they were. A big cojones hanging down, and I'm just like, O M G. So I put on there, cool dog getting neutered. I waited for the onslaught, which I expected, and I got people free. Oh, mind your own business, and somebody apparently had gone to my Facebook site and I says, Oh, it looks like you just stomp your feet if you don't get your way, and you know. And then one guy said, um, um, Why? And I said, If you have to ask why, then you shouldn't own a dog. So why? Well, let me tell you why. Because every year, 900,000, that is almost 1 million, shelter animals are euthanized due to overcrowding and lack of being able to be adopted out. That is 390,000 dogs, 530,000 cats that do not have a home, do not have a life because of overpopulation, because people get an animal and don't get it spayed or neutered. If you have... I agree. I agree. If you have an unstayed female dog and her mate and all their puppies and none of them are ever staying and neutered, they can produce 16 dogs in a year, 128 dogs in two years, 512 dogs in three years, 2,048 dogs in four years, 12,288 dogs in five years, and 7,000 dogs in six years. I know that's an extreme example, but um, there were some laws that were changed that have helped this, but it's the ignorance of people that really needs to change. And, and it was in the 1930s that neutering accessibility started to become widely used for dogs and cats. In 1969, the first affordable spay and neuter clinic opened in Los Angeles. In 1972, it was a requirement for adoption that an animal be sterilized before it could be available for adoption. And then in the 1970s, shelters became overpopulated with strays and euthanization peaked. It it somewhat has leveled out to a certain point, but still almost a million animals getting killed every year. Um, There are no-kill shelters where they, you know, and then there are senior uh, shelters for dogs who are just too old to possibly get adopted or, you know, they're just able to live out their life. But people said on this, when people were making comments, they were making comments about, oh, it's not good for the dog to get it neutered um, health-wise, it causes cancer. Actually, it prevents a lot of cancer yeah. that dogs could get. And there is a guideline online for what type of breed of dog you have. If you just have, like, a general mutt, you know, any time is good. But there is a guideline there that because of their growth. Yeah, the growth rate. Oh, hey, yeah. Right. So it, it gives a recommendation of if you have, like, a higher breed, a pure breed dog, there are recommendations there. But still, getting them neutered is um, just the best, most practical way for your dog and yourself. And then, like, oh, well, if you're a good pet owner, you know, mistakes aren't going to happen. That's not true. You cannot watch a dog. And then, like, dogs like to mark their territory, yes. um, you know, especially and, the and males. So many, so many get put back into a shelter because, oh, gee, the dog market's territory-wide because there was a pregnant or a uh, another dog in heat around. you know? Uh, I know the issue I have now. I have a purebred male, Roddy, and he isn't neutered yet. Now, he's also six years old already. But I do know when there is a female in heat in the neighborhood, twice a year, like clockwork, he goes at snaky. You know, and he won't leave my two girls alone, which are both spayed. So, you know, there are so many things that it just, you know, breeding a dog, breeding a dog, for example. uh, I don't believe that they should just be, you know, oh, I want to breed just because I want my dog to have puppies. Why? Well, they need to have a litter. That's another one. They need to have a litter to spit it out of their sister. No, they don't. No, No, they don't. What they don't, what they don't know, they're not gonna think they need anyway, right? Right. right. <laughs> they they have no desire for it at that point. But, right. You know, uh, uh, and it I ca- mean causes it causes a lot of roaming issues too when these dogs yeah. you get a, if you ha- if you have a fenced yard which we we already had a fence yard because before I got my dog Hank that I had now I had a list of twenty eight reasons why I didn't want to get a dog. Yeah. And he. <laughs> Uh, you know, that, that went right out the window as soon as I saw him. But we already had a fenced yard, so that was a plus um, in getting him because that, that should just go right along with um, when and you're going to get a dog to have a fenced yard. But it also causes a lot of roaming problems. The dog just wants to go. He wants to find those females that are in heat wherever they are in the neighborhood. And so I'm just, uh, there is no excuse. That's acceptable as far as I'm concerned, because if you can't afford to get your dogs paid or your cat or you you know don't get it, yeah, because it's just part of and and now I know here in Billings and I'm sure every major city uh they have they have neuter clinics for a more of an affordable um procedure done you know in groups, so it's like down at the Metro park, and you know they just do a lot of them all at one time, so it's a more affordable option, but um. Yeah, we don't have much of that up here in Canada though.
4: Oh, but no. I do know
2: I do know too, um, not getting your animal fixed can
4: create
2: dog fight. You know, and you get a lot of these guys, oh, I got a macho dog, you know, bully breed, I'm not gonna you know, I'm not gonna fix him, I'm not gonna take his nuts away and then there happens to be a female and he which isn't supposed to be outside of the house to begin with but then you've got a female dog in heat. you've got another couple of dogs that aren't you know aren't neutered, and suddenly you've got three dogs fighting for the female, right. and then people go, "Oh, my dogs were you know I don't know what happened my dogs you know they're they're friendly dogs and et cetera et cetera but and you know a lot of times too, like I said, with my boy, he can smell God knows where this female is, but like I said, it's like clockwork twice a year spring and fall that this dog somewhere in the neighborhood is is in heat and if he wasn't such a good-natured dog I would worry about having a child in my house at that point because mm-hmm. he gets so worked up right and this is what happens to the males when they smell a female in heat and I mean they can smell them from out. so I mean not only are you risking your own animal's health but you're risking people as well Because these these animals will go to the ends of the earth to find that female, okay? And, I mean, I can remember even as a kid, uh, we had rescued a little poodle, and my mom, you know, was in the, she had already made the appointment to get her spayed, and of course, in the meantime, the dog went into heat, and we, I mean, we're talking a, a small poodle, like, not cheek up, the next size up, but... There were dogs of all sizes, shapes, colors. They were just roaming our yard, all males, all looking for us. You know, yeah. so, I mean, we had everything from Great Dane and Shepherd down to the tiniest teacup dogs, you know. And, yeah, like you said, roaming. Of course, they're going to try and break out to get to the female. Yeah. You know, and it's it, so... It, as Bob Barker used to say on the price of flight, get your pets made and neutered. Yeah. And no smokes was good enough, so that's just my soapbox for the night. Yeah. <laughs> <I didn't> <laughs> pass <laughs> it over to you. Uh, well, uh, the only thing I have left to talk about is the driver shortage uh, and why drivers are leaving the industry. Now, this was, I got the information actually from an article on LinkedIn by Rigs on Wheels. Um broker and recruitment services. Now, there's seven of these that they've come up with, um, and I'm not gonna argue any one of them because they're all true. Um, first one, of course, not satisfied with pay. You know, you get, and lot of this comes down to the sales tactics of the recruiters, right? So your second one is, uh, don't like how they're being treated. Well, you know, dispatcher supervisors, frontline managers, um, They're not respecting the driver's knowledge. They're not treating a driver with respect. They treat them like little kids sometimes, you know, and they don't seem to understand that the driver is an asset to that company, right? They're what helps that company grow. Um, And a lot of the drivers too are tired of not being heard, you know, a dispatcher or somebody will say something to them and they'll say, no, that's not possible or, you know, something to that effect. And it gets completely ignored, and that happens all the time in this street. Um, Third one is feeling unappreciated. Again, feeling like they're being respected and feel like they're being heard because that is, I think, probably the key for a lot of these companies. Uh, Number four, that um, it doesn't meet up to expectations meaning they're recruiters, which are and just, a, it's just a glorified name for salesperson. Um, they paint the sunniest pictures about the job and the company culture and how things are going to go. But like, there's very little honesty in a lot of that, right? Um, most of us as drivers, we've been through an interview. Chances are the interview lasted oh, maybe 15 minutes, you know, not including, of course, the road test. But you you hear the same spiel out of almost every recruiter. We have the highest pay. We have the best pay for layovers, and the best pay for this, and the best pay for that. And you're gonna be able to have three, four days off when you get home and, um, you know, uh, know, do what you gotta do. We're very flexible. And then suddenly they're out in that company truck and they're going down the road. Oh yeah, the other the other famous thing is oh no, there's no force dispatch. Oh crap turn, on turn, that! Turned turn down a load and see where yeah. you end up. Exactly, exactly. We'll be sitting in the for a while. Yeah, you know. Um, oh, we've got lots of work, lots of work, and suddenly yeah. that driver's sitting with two, three day layovers every time they deliver. Um, you know, I, I see and hear so much of that. Uh, number five is of course. The lack of advancement opportunities. So your talents and experiences are being dismissed when a person is looking at, you know, getting off the road, maybe learning about operations and dispatch, safety, whichever. Or maybe they already have that experience and they're completely dismissed for whatever reasons, right? Um, Lack of home time, another big one. Uh, You're being promised... Oh, yeah, when you get home, you can have three days, four days off. And suddenly it's 36 hours, turn around, back out the door. And then they wonder why you're tired. Let's see, in 36 hours, you get home in the evening. So your 36 hours start, say, 8 p.m. You're not available from 8 a.m. the fall, like the day after. So you have one full day in order to get your laundry done, groceries bought, make yourself a couple of meals at home, have a good sleep, have a shower, you know, maybe visit a couple of people, your day is done. And then you literally go back in the truck and go, oh, now I can relax. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So because drivers aren't given that time, it does start to affect their their mentality as well. Um, And, of course, the final one is health issues. Um, You know, the unhealthy foods and... in technically shift work and stressors and everything out that we deal out there on the road with. A lot of that stuff leads to stuff like heart disease, sleep apnea, joint and back pain, cancer, stroke, obesity, diabetes. Also about 69% of the truck drivers out there are obese and 17% of those are morbidly obese. So, you know, that doesn't say a lot for our industry. It doesn't allow us, you know, if you're living hard, you don't get the chance to get out and exercise and do a lot of stuff. If you're a high miler, like I was, fourteen to 16,000 miles a month, yeah, you don't have a lot of time. You get out, you let your dog out, you have maybe 10, 15 minutes, you're back in the truck, and you're on the road again. And then you got people like Brian. <laughs> See, I told you, Brian, I'd get you. <laughs> yeah, I can add to that a
1: little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jenna's completely right. I mean, it's funny, but when I get back into the truck, I actually get a better sleep than I do at home, and that's a sad fact. You're so wild up, you know, you're wired up, brother, and um, the bed is rock hard at home compared to my nice, beautiful Texas-style bed that I bought at the PA in, in Texas, of uh, one of those bed places. Oh, my gosh. It's heaven. It's so heaven, and then I go home, and it's like, Ah! Saying sleeping on bricks, you yeah. so, my wife likes it, but uh, no, I'm not thrilled. And, and another thing is for me to get my not a word of a lie. My wife actually sleeps on the couch, and then the dogs sleep with me, so I, I get better sleep when I got the dogs around me. I know that's a yeah. strange thing to say, but you know, um, because Bandit is so in tune to me at, in, at, in the truck, he say he's a thing. He's in tune to me on at home as well. So, yeah. and I can i honestly cannot sleep without them. I, I, it really is true, right? Um, you know, although Kelly tries to hog the bed quite a bit, Kelly's our, our rescue pit as well. But um, no, Janet is completely right. And it takes you basically two days to unwind. Then you get yeah. your your you know your two days off, and then you come back, and it's like, well, yeah, back to work again. It's not an easy life for a truck driver. And it takes a very special woman to be with a truck driver. Hats off to my wife. I, I give her full kudos. Uh, you know, she always makes sure that I get my sleep when I get home. And, uh, you know, we enjoy each other's company as well. So, And not a lot of truck drivers can say that about their wives of almost three decades. So yeah. um, if I was going to give a red pylon shout-out, I'd give them one to my wife. I do want to give a really good blue pylon shout-out to my dispatcher, Cal, that guy's amazing, man. He, what he did, he went to bat for me. I was on the road for three months, and we had this thing called a drive to the finish where you get a nice, hefty bonus. And even though I was on the road and Mother Nature was screwing around with me really bad, like I had everything from blizzards to ice storms, he went to bat for me, and he got me my bonus. So uh, I give him a full 100% blue pylon shout-out because... There's not a lot of dispatchers that go to bat for you like that. And no. I tell you, I have a really good one. in Cal, he does listen to our podcast. So full kudos to you, boy, because, man, oh, man, what you did for me today was nothing short of amazing. So I prayed to the universe to help me out, and you came through once again. So that's my out. Okay. Do you have any high lines while you're at it, Rose?
2: Uh, I don't. I don't get out much. I don't interact much.
1: Rose, you have to just go up to somebody at the Walmart and go,
2: Okay, I want to give you a pylon
1: shout-out. <laughs> I, uh,
2: I, I haven't even been at the Walmart for a,
1: over a week. Uh. <clears throat> How about you, Janet? Anybody you've met or done something for you nice lately give a pylon shout-out to?
2: Yeah, my son and, and my adopted daughter, Alex, uh, for bringing me a birthday cake on my birthday. Oh, when was your birthday?
4: That's it was on
2: the 21st. Oh, what happy, yeah. The latest. Earthy. Oh, and and then and then I have to also give a shout out to Will's girlfriend Jana uh, for the beautiful tulips she brought me, and my son also brought me a single red rose. So, oh, yes, Aww. all together, oh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, well, you're the last one with the last word before we do the Ray Crone interview coming up. What's
3: your pilot shout out? I actually have two red ones uh, to do. Um, one, two, uh, you know, my, my, my girlfriend, her, uh, surgery kind of didn't go as planned. There were some complications and there's, uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot involved right now. So, um, you know, shout out to her and shout out to, uh, my mom, despite it being, um, her birthday, she ended up, uh, helping my girlfriend out with the bandages and stuff and, you know, all in all i got a I got a pretty good uh good mum, and you, you know i I really have to uh re reiterate this saying, okay and it's very important people learn the differences, okay so nice people can do shitty things, but shitty people can do nice things, and it's best to be able to decipher between the two don't Don't mistake a shitty person person doing a nice thing for an actual nice person. Because there's a difference. And I feel like a lot of people get the two confused, you know?
1: Right. We've got one more, Will, because we did two interviews this week, didn't we? We had Rick Crone, so we give him a shout-out for the interview that he provided, and another one to Drew Arnett of Strange Advance. Amazing interview. It's coming up in May, I might add. Uh, Drew's doing a tour on May the 13th. Um, he is going to be in Victoria, and uh, Strange Advance is back, so Drew did a great interview with us. we got a lot of cool things happening on Highway Freaks, so if you're not listening to us, I guarantee you by the next two or three podcasts, you will be. And that's all I've got to say. Rose, I'm going to give you the final words.
2: Final word. Everybody go out and have a great week, stay warm, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: And coming up, Ray Kron. Welcome to Guys one-on-one bandwagon. And here with Guys today. we have Ray Crone. Ray Crone was an American wrongfully convicted of murder. Uh, he is the 100th inmate uh, that was actually exonerated from death row since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. Ray was born and raised in Dover Township, York County, Pennsylvania. He graduated Dover High School in 1974. Ray got the weird name, the Snaggletooth Killer, and he'll go into that why, um, due to this uh, crime that he did not commit. He spent 10 years in prison, including two, almost three years on death row. Ray was found guilty of killing a bartender in
2: Phoenix, Arizona in
1: 1991. He's, uh, the lady that was in question was a 35 year old, Tim Ancona, who was found dead in a bar where Crona often played uh, darts. In 1992, conviction was upheld on appeal in 1996, which hinged on expert testimony claiming an impression of of the teeth that matched bite marks found on the victim's body. It was disputed by dental experts by the defense in court. On April 8, 2002, Crone was released from prison. DNA evidence proved he didn't murder Kim Antona. Instead, Kenneth Phillips, a VP sex offender, was the actual killer. Journalist Robert Nelson wrote that the ample crime scene evidence that was painted to Phillips, and unfortunately, Ray was convicted because of it, where Phillips was actually the, the perpetrator in question. The data was ignored by police, and the prosecution evidence in 2005 Ray Crohn received a settlement of one point four million from Maricopa County and three million from the city of Phoenix. Since his release, Crohn is an activist working for the abolition of the death penalty. He's the director of membership and training for the Witness to Innocence program. And in 2005, he was featured in episodes 13 and 14 of Extreme Makeover, and he also has been featured on Forensic Files. So um, also to note, Jim Ricks, his cousin, was also instrumental in getting him freed from prison. So welcome to the show, Ray. I'm glad to have you. We certainly have uh, tried uh, your schedule and my schedule, and finally we got you here today. So we're very happy to have you. Um, you we were twice convicted for this heinous crime. Do you want to explain to our freaks out there how that kind of came about? Uh, i I tell you, again, thank you for the opportunity. There's some things in life we just aren't prepared for. Days age of 34 and going into 35, uh, I, I never had any dealings with the law. I had nothing to worry about. I was home bed and, and so I told the truth. Uh, two days later, I was arrested uh, based on a medical examiner there. that was being trained to be a bite mark expert. said, marks the body matched my teeth. Uh, my teeth were actually had a unique tooth in the front that protruded a little bit as a result of a car accident I had when I was 18 years old that broke my jaw and I had some uh, dental work done. Uh, but again, I, I had nothing to worry about. I got a court-appointed attorney who got paid $5,000 to defend myself at the first trial. It was a three-day trial. Uh, the bite mark expert was very impressive, very uh, powerful speaker, uh, got paid over $50,000 for his testimony by the prosecution. It took the jury just three and a half hours to find me guilty based on bite mark evidence alone. Wow! Um, And prior to this, I understand. uh, Just to backtrack, you were a postal worker prior to being convicted, and you served time in the military as well. Can you elaborate on your your prior history before this came about, Ray? Sure, absolutely, and thanks for asking about that. I I did graduate high school in '74. Um, I was pretty good. I graduated top 15% of my class. I was decent in sports, but none of that was good enough to to go to college where I was was a a working town, an agricultural town. A a lot of uh, people worked in plants, and I went to service as an electronic computer system repairman. I did six years active duty. My last base was in Phoenix, Arizona. I got out. Uh, Within a few years, I got a job with U.S. Postal Service. I had worked seven years as a letter carrier there in Phoenix. Uh, So I had a top secret clearance in the Air Force. I had an honorable discharge. And uh, then my postal service record was clean. I didn't even have a driving, you know, record. I mean, you lose your license. You can't drive for the post office, you lose your job. So there was no background in in my history or anything that could say they had to get me off the streets or I was a dangerous person. Uh, And the fact that I refused to take a plea bargain was the death penalty and actually got the death penalty on me. Okay. So let's take us back to that fateful night that you were in the bar, uh, or presumably in the bar, I should say, and... All of this took place. Trying to paint the picture for our, our highway freaks out there exactly the uh, transition uh, of what happened. This The murder actually happened on a Saturday night, uh, going actually within the Sunday morning. The uh, CD Stars closed at 1 o'clock. Uh, she was last seen by a girlfriend. I was never there that evening. I had stopped at my postal my, my postal station was just down the road uh, to the west of there, about a mile. My house was just down the road to the east of there. This was in the middle between my work and my home. And I stopped in that afternoon with Saturday, which was during the time of football playoffs. I picked up a pizza for some friends at my house. I went home to my house and spent the evening there all night long and I went to sleep. I found out about the murder. the next morning when police officers showed up at my house and questioned me about my boyfriend-girlfriend relationship with Kim, which was never true. She lived with a man. I purely seen her at the, at the uh, bar there where she worked, and then I played darts. And she also had a dart team of her own. I played her the higher a uh, league uh, uh, dart team. But, but that's the only reason we knew each other is from going to the bar and having darts in common. I'd only actually go going to the bar for about two months. But I knew nothing about the murder. I was not there. Uh, 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 one of the coworkers alleged that Kim had told her that I was coming to help close up. And as I said, her last the last people to see her were girlfriends. were going to go out together that evening after hours after she got off at 1 o'clock. And unfortunately, she got a call just before went up at the ball stage. She was going to have to come in and open up the next morning. And so she canceled the plans to go out and was going to head home. And she was actually found by the owner the next morning when he came in to unlock the doors at around 9 o'clock in the morning. Found the doors unlocked, uh, found money in the cash register. It looked like the bar had been cleaned as he made his way around the bar. He found her body stabbed, and then stabbed through all she had over her socks. Her clothing had been cut off for her buckle with, with a knife in the kitchen. Uh, there was no evidence of a robbery, so they began the investigation on the assumption had to be somebody that knew her. And as I said, the one girl said, that uh, she told her I was coming in, and so that's why they came to my house to question me. Oh, okay, I get you. But the strong armingly evidence that they had was the teeth imprint you had to give them, which you gave them willingly. Now, it was later proved false, but how was it that they could convict you on just that facet alone? Well, it was something new, I believe, first off. Uh, again, that first day when they came to my house to question me, they took me downtown to the interrogation room for, for three hours, questioning about oh, this alleged boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, which was non existent except for me being in the bar where she worked. Uh, but uh, at that top point, they had me fighting a piece of styrofoam. The detective had me fighting a piece of So, I was taken home after three hours that day. The next day, he was waiting for me. When I got home, the detective was waiting for me at my house. When I got home from post office that day, me downtown again, and this time he actually had the local examiner who was an actual dentist, take casts of my teeth, actual impressions of my upper and lower teeth, pictures and everything. And that's when I explained about my dentition being a passenger head-on collision, waking up in the hospital with a broken jaw, my mouth wired shut, Uh, eventually this one tooth that protrude a little bit, And that's the things I cooperated with, no problem. I was home in bed, I got a roommate that knows I was home in bed, knows I never left the house. Uh, they actually questioned him, and he was. As an alibi buster said that he was just lying to protect his friend. Uh, so the, 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 the bite mark was clearly what they used. There was no fingerprints. There was nothing else was in the scene of crime they could use to link to me. And so They got a bite mark extra to testify that marks the body. That's why you need teeth. That, that bite happened at the time of death, and that may be Ray Crowe the murder. And it was enough to impress the jury. And that was the very first time that you were convicted. So when this happens... Take me back into the, you know, the courtroom. You're, you're, this happens to you. Apparently, that you know, the judge is kind of pissed off at you because you're not showing remorse. How could you show remorse for a crime that you never did? Correct. Well, and, and exactly. There's the problem. I, I I think they're used to. And again, I was 35. I was an 18, 19 year old kid. who was easily badgered, easily intimidated. You know, so I stood up for myself, even though I had an attorney that never did a capital murder case uh, before uh, representing me. Uh, the, the, the question to sit in that courtroom and be accused of something you didn't do, and knowing it, and being told don't say nothing, don't show any,
3: you know, any
1: expressions or whatever, just sit there quiet, is just not the type of person I was. But I did it, I maintained it, because again, how are they going to prove that I killed her when I was home with that and had nothing to do with it? It just was beyond bizarre to me to even be sitting there still. Somebody had done this. There should have been an investigation into that instead of arresting me just two days after it happened. I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't leaving this state. I worked for the post office. You'd have found me any day of the the week that you wanted me. Yet two days you have to arrest me. And I believe that's what that that, that jumped to that conclusion made them hold on to me no matter what. When the evidence didn't fit, they covered it up and tried to find circumstantial evidence, anything they could, to try to tie me to that murder. And they used the bite mark as a convincing and conclusive evidence. Okay, so now you're convicted, and are you immediately hauled off to prison, or, or does uh, that take uh, some time? Yeah, and in, in Arizona at that time, too, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the the jury handles the guilt phase. They determine guilt or innocence, and then they're dismissed. The judge actually handles the sentencing part of it, and it's called an aggravating mitigating hearing, and this actually happened about four months later. I was just held in the county jail. Uh, that was the famous Joe Arpaio's toughest sheriff in America jail, where we did have pink underwear, we did eat, eat green bologna, they did have a chain gang for women, and they did have tents out in the middle of the desert. Uh, but I was there for four more months before we went back before the judge, and as I said, this aggravating, mitigating hearing, the first part's thrown by the judge, or by the prosecution before the judge, uh, where they argue why this is above and beyond the norm, so outrageous, so horrible, so deserving of the death penalty. They argued the bite mark was on the breast. There was some around her neck. Uh, They argued that that was excessive pain and suffering, gratuitous violence, heinous and depraved. Uh, They have to have at least one aggravating factor to get a death penalty. The judge says, yes, that's aggravating enough for him. And then the next part was the mitigating part put on by the defense. And just like you mentioned, how do you mitigate something you didn't do? How do you show remorse or regret for an act you never committed? That's what they wanted me to do. I told my attorney, I have nothing to mitigate, I didn't do it. He said, well, we'll put your family on, your friends on, they'll come up and testify to your background, your service, in, in, the, in the Air Force, your, your school records and stuff. And uh, having been questioned during the trial, uh, even my roommate who was home with bed at, uh, during the time of the murder and knows that I was home, was questioned during the trial and cross-examined by the prosecutor, called him a liar, said he was protecting me. Uh, I did not want my family or my friends getting on that stand to be cross-examined by the prosecutor. For, for mitigation evidence for me. And, so I, and I told my friend, you're not putting my family in prison that's dead. He said, well, you're going to have to tell the judge that. And so I did, and I was promptly called an old remorseful killer, a monster, and sentenced to death right then. Wow. And, you know, and then your family, what was their reaction? Well, I'm very, very fortunate. I am the oldest in my, in my family. Is, you know, I have a younger brother and sister. I, I went to service. I was 35 years old at times, so people knew who I was, what I was. Again, I wasn't a young... 18, 19-year-old. Um, so I only had to tell my family once. I was able to make a call when I was arrested. I told my sister but to tell everybody not to worry. This will work out. I'll be out soon. Uh, and then the days went by and the months went by in the county jail. It wasn't working out. I was going to trial. So my family was certainly concerned. Uh, unfortunately, they were 2,500 miles away back in Pennsylvania. That's a long way from Arizona. So they weren't exactly the physical support there, but you know, I had the, the moral support be able to speak with them. And they stood by and believed in me. Uh, when I got convicted, they were not there. Uh, so it was a horrible time to have to take that news to them. But I'm now, your son's now sentenced to death. Your brother's sentenced to death. The state of Arizona was to kill you. Uh, I'm much for, very fortunate, I must say, Harry, as you mentioned, Jim Ricks' name. Jim Ricks was was actually my mom's cousin. His mom and my my grandma were sisters. That was the only people in the family that do not live around Dover, Pennsylvania. She had married a serviceman, I believe it was, and had moved to California way, way back and raised three boys. I did not have, had never met Jim Ricks until he came to visit me on death row. But I want to say how fortunate I am for that family, that strength of character of my family and friends that I had made that stood by that courage uh, You know, to, to, continue, to continue this fight uh I played sports. So I mean, I, 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 I don't. When you're on a team, you don't want to let your team members down. So I was going to be okay as long as people believed in me and stood by me. So from what you're telling me, more than probably 95% of your family, friends, relatives, cousins all knew that there was something wrong here. I'd say almost 100%, the only exception would be people I might have known and occasionally that run across me, and some people are just kind of being mean and cruel anyway. But yes, I was very, very fortunate for the number of family and friends that all stood by me, not just those first weeks, but all those years, 10 years, 3 months, and 8 days to be exact. When I was watching uh, Forensic Files uh, just uh, prior to our interview, rate, they actually said, and I was really confused by this, that you, were well, uh, you weren't very, very well liked in the bar. And I I don't really get that, because from what you're telling me, I sound like you were very well-liked. So is that just uh, them uh, putting on an impression uh, for the show, or was that true? Well, there's a new one. I mean, there there's always truth that bars are, bars are a little competitive, because people drink. I was one of the top dark shooters in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, out of 600 people or so showing the league, I, I got the top awards there. I'm not exactly a cocky, arrogant person, but gains the games of skill are games of skill. I also worked at a post office, I did have a Corvette, people didn't like that, I had a number of cars, but, but there were some things, some reasons, a few people there did not like me, and they were friends with Kim, not friends with me, they'd been going to the bar for years, I'd only started going there two months earlier, I, I played a volleyball on a team, the bar that sponsored us had, had shut down, and this bar now took over, so, and while that involved, they would keep the equipment for us, there was a park nearby, a city park, we'd go play volleyball in the afternoons, and in the fall, and in winter and spring when it's not so hot out in Phoenix, Arizona. We played volleyball with the equipment. and go back to the bar afterwards and spend money on beer and food. And that's how I started going to that bar. So I'd only been there a couple months. I was a volleyball player. I was a top guard shooter. I worked for the post office. I had a couple of nice cars. You could motorcycle and boat. And there were some people that were, were were just a little jealous of that. And when the murder happened, of course, you're hateful towards anybody that killed a friend of yours. They were friends of hers, not friends of mine. Oh, Okay. The way, unfortunately, the way that the forensic files came across, you know, they didn't like you. You have this relationship with him, which I know you denied, and, and, and I, I 100% believe you. But the way it came across, unfortunately, was uh, completely the opposite. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And again, like I said, the one one date that said I was coming into closing, that was an absolute lie. They allowed that in at trial for hearsay. If I was coming in to help close, I'd have been there. And as I said, her last ones to see her, where her girlfriend had testified to the fact that I wasn't there. And they still said, oh, well, the police said when he came in afterwards, although there was no cameras, there's no evidence of that. Uh, so, again, there's, there's a lot of talk with people, people are murdered, and especially in something like a bar where people know each other, uh, don't do or don't like each other. I mean, it could be an interesting thing from somebody parking in a parking space right before somebody else went to park there, and it caused upset. It could be something that have to wait too long to go to the bathroom. That's just the way the bar nature were. And as I said, being there only two months, I would dare stop in there with my friends to play darts. The rest of the people there at the bar, there was pool there. The rest of the people didn't really know me and my friends in that two months' time. Well, it's like the crown prosecutor's got to paint the picture of you being guilty, other than the the teeth imprints. So they got to really make it that look like, you know, hey, this guy is kind of a ruffian, and you know he's not well liked, and you know he's got an infatuation with this waitress, and you know obviously they got to paint the picture to make it more. Because I mean the evidence was so lacking, wasn't it? Yes, and you're absolutely right. And again, that's one of the things. That, again, being a veteran, being an American, being a proud American, having grown up, you know, of, you know, staying out of trouble, being responsible, respectful. To see the things that were I was the ledger, and accused of, it, to see the the the, the 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 detective that stood there and said, "You're your boyfriend, aren't you? Your date?" I said, "No, I'm not dating. I actually, went there and testified at a trial that I denied associate with her. I never denied associate with her. I said, I'm not her boyfriend. She lived with the man. I'm not dating her." Uh, you know, but that's the kind of stuff that I've just had never seen in my life. Never believed that people would stoop that low in something as as serious as a, a murder investigation and a murder trial. That the biggest liars in my courtroom had a bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's definitely something. Intimidating because as an honest person is, you know, here you are. You're not trusted with anything. You're 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 treated like uh well, like an animal, pretty much. And, and Arizona's that the, the, the county jail was bad enough. I just said the you went know, the sheriff in sheriff The American was horrible conditions there. People coming in off the streets with drug addictions. People coming in with mental health issues. Put into a a a a, 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 a bay a cell a, a block uh, full of uh, other. other inmates that uh, these, some people needed treatment, whether they were kicking drugs or whether they just had mental health issues, uh, should not have been in with, with some of the other people there that took advantage of the situation. But again, I was going to be there long because I'm in it. Yeah, well, then I get put to death row where it is isolation The is about the size of most people's bathroom. was about six feet wide and eight feet long uh, cinder block walls, steel bars in the front with the metal door. I had a little window about uh, two by three. Uh, that had a little holes drilled through the metal, round holes that you can fix your little finger in, maybe. But you could see out a little bit. That's where I spent my days, and it wasn't 23 hours a day. We got wrecked three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The rest of the time, you wrecked yourself. I had a cement slab. was where the bed was. There was a paddle nut, a slab that would be something like it'd be on your, your cheap lounge chair out back. It's about an inch and a half thick. Uh, no pillow. Got one sheet, one army blanket. I actually wrapped my uh, tennis shoes, and a towel. That's what I slept on at the pillow. And that's where, where we were. Uh, we got out to make a phone call once a month. Uh, if you got a legal visit, you got out of your cell where you finally got to take a shower. But basically it was three showers a week and that was on the rep day. Uh, so there was a lot of a lot of personal load time it did a lot of reading, a lot of corresponding, writing to friends. Uh, I even had a a uh, 7th grade English teacher writing while in that cell. He said, I remember you from school and he said, you, you know, you, you always had to be the first one done. You get your paper up and he said, you usually have one wall and you do the answer to just out of hurry. He said, I don't believe any of this. And I wrote a letter back to him and you know, reminiscing missing. And he sent it back to me with red correction marks on it, just like an English teacher would. But uh, that was, that was the thing that I did. I communicated with people because you were alone in that cell. You had no physical contact with other inmates. You just could on the other cell. So, you aren't sell- are sharing a cell with anybody then? Not on death row. No, you're completely isolated. You never left your cell without first being strip searched uh, while you were in your cell. You put all your clothes out through a, a hole in the door, which we called the trap, where they fed you through. Uh, you put your clothes out there when you were done turning and twisting and bending to make sure there was nothing hidden anywhere on you. Uh, you got dressed and put your arms out through that trap. Again, the officer put a set of handcuffs on you. to had a belt attached. You were turned around. You fastened that belt at your waist. Then your door, cell door finally opened up and took one step out away from the door, turned to one step away from the officer, and froze, at which time he would pat you down to make sure he didn't hide anything on you in the last minute while you were just getting dressed right in front of him. And then you had about an 18-inch chain put around your ankles with a big lock on each end. Uh, and then the other officer that was outside working the cell door would actually come into the cell block, and the two officers escort you outside uh, for, for rec time. Uh, that's the only way you ever got out of your cell. Uh, you were let loose to go and take a shower, but all the other inmates are always locked down in their in their cells, so there's no physical contact, as I say, with the other inmates. Even if you were walking down the hall, but another inmate was coming the other way with two officers. One would step aside into a hallway or doorway somewhere so you could pass. It was complete isolation uh, very, uh, obviously lonely, quiet, uh, and just, uh, disorienting. I mean, it's not something I was used to. I'm an outgoing person. I knew all the people in my mail route. That was six hundred people. Uh, and here I was put into this for something I did do and worry not only about my life, but what my family is going through. So that, that's on a daily basis that that happens every time you go out of your cell, right? There's no other way to get out of there. So, what if you have to go to the bathroom? Is, is there, is there the, you know, the toilet is in the cell, or do you actually have to ask? Yep. No, each one of those cells uh, ha- actually had their own little, uh, kind of like you see on TV. There's one unit that had a little a bowl on the bottom and a and a sink on top with two little push buttons for the water. Uh, each each cell had that. So, yeah. And as I say, it's not only getting the showers three times a week, most of so' all do how to wash up in our commode and our sink there wash up in between time, because you could conceivably have wreck on Friday morning and never get out of your cell again until your wreck. There's three wreck periods a day. There was 121 inmates and only 16 wreck cells outside in the desert. Uh, so not everybody got to go. You could conceivably go on the wreck on a Friday morning and never get out of your cell again until Monday afternoon. Right? right. And there's no, of course, you don't control any heat or cold. So are those cells uh, uncomfortable or no? Well, it was... This this was in the deserts out in Arizona where I was, Florence, Arizona, so it got up in the hundreds and tens in the summertime. We did not have air conditioning. They had what they called a swamp cooler, which actually just put humidity in the air because the air was so dry. Uh, so we used to, in the summertime, it was real hot. We used to actually wet the, the Smith floor there and then lay your sheet and blanket on that and sleep on that because the moisture on the wet, on the cold floor kind of was cool enough to sleep. In the wintertime, you had to bundle up. We weren't given sweatshirts, you know, over the wintertime. I did have a code for going outside and wreck, uh, even though it's 70 degrees. It's funny in the desert. If it's, if it's 70 in the daytime, it's 50 at night, you feel cold. Uh, but uh, we had to make do. There was way to make do. And, again, who are you going to complain to? You think they care about somebody on death row? Of course not. And most of the guards that work on death row were guards that could not work in the yard, that got in trouble elsewhere. And here they were safe because no inmates could get at it and they were always, always you know, um, very rarely had get. Contact with the inmates. We did not get out together. We one one inmate at a time went out to the rec yard in a ten by ten square with fence, uh hurricane fence, 10, 10 feet uh, square and then ten feet tall, fenced in. Uh, we had a basketball net and basketball there, and you could you, you could do push ups and sit ups. You could also at least talk to other inmates because you could see them in the other fenced in areas. But that was that was our, our rec time for two hours Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So little tough as as when you see in the movies where you're making buddies in, in prison. It's a little tough to do that, from what you're, you're saying. Uh, you, you really didn't have anybody you could associate with. And obviously, you can't be buddies with the prison guard, right? Oh, absolutely. You do not uh, you do not cooperate with the prison guard. You don't even get, make an attempt to even have much of a conversation with them unless other people can hear it clearly, because you do not want to be considered a snitch or a rat. Uh, somebody will put a shank in you somehow. Uh, there were people. There were still ways that people did get stabbed. I was fortunate, actually, when I was the county jail, there was another man going through a murder trial. He was about a month ahead of me. We ended up at the same cell block. There, uh, a businessman like me, both of those were claimed to be innocent. The, the case was just horrible, poor evidence. Uh, uh, anyway, he got sentenced to death a month before me. I ended up getting in the stone cell block. They had, uh, I believe, about eight cell blocks and held 16 people each. Uh, not all of them were full, but they were death row cell uh, blocks. But anyway, he was in the same cell block with me. I was able to get a talk to him eventually. Uh, we could still talk out with the guards. There were no guards that stayed in the cell block. They only came at feeding time, which, by the way, we never got a hot meal. They don't let people death row work in the kitchen, you know, around any type of dangerous uh, implements or tools. Uh, that, that Our food prepared was a, a minimum yard nearby, put in carts and wheeled over to the hallway. would sit there until they felt like feeding. It was never hot. But anyway, this man, Stan uh, Willoughby, ended up getting a job at the law library. They did have a law library then where inmates could go, sign out, uh, sign up to be there. And again, you were shackled and handcuffed and served, taken up there and put in a little phone booth-sized cage where you could study law. Dan had got a job up there. There was only four inmates that worked up there. One of the inmates ended up being executed, but uh, Dan had said something about me. I was able to get a job after about a year and a half on death row. Where actually, uh, four times a week, they would actually come to my cell, take me up there, lock me in where all the law books were. And I also then became a legal representative for other inmates, uh, where you actually represented them in, in local district issues inside the prison. And you could also help them with their case or appeals, you know, in, in, the, in the legal state of Arizona opinion. <laughs> Excuse me. So I was able to get a little bit more exits uh, from my cell, a little bit more time out of my cell, and also able to actually help them inmate. And if I could relate this one story again, how crazy and wrong our system is, I was actually working with a man, I won't mention any name. but I was working with a man for, for a couple months where he couldn't read or write, and he would actually get a legal business, so I could read the letters for him. I even read letters from his mom to him, and then he dictated back to me that I could write, write the letters for him, to his mom. And after a couple months of doing this, uh, one day we got to talk about his case. He was in there for signing a confession, I know for a fact this man can't read or write and he signed a confession. You've got to be kidding me. Something's very wrong there. I 100% agree. So it sounds like, you you, you know, even though this is all completely wrong, you're in prison, you're, now you're going to at least try and make things uh, worthwhile and, you know, help your psyche, your peace of mind. Uh, you mentioned about the 7-year-old, you know, the, the pen pal. How did that actually come about, and, and how was that allowed? I, I'm really kind of confused about that part. Well, I and mean, you, you you were allowed, uh, 50, I, think it was 12, I think it was 12 people or 15 people you were allowed to put on your visitors or call list. You could either call them or they could visit either way. Now, of course, I didn't have a lot of people in Arizona there that, that I would want to have to drive down there and visit me in that. My family and friends back in Pennsylvania certainly ain't going to drive 2,500 miles. So, you know, I was able to call them. I have to send a, once a month, you had a fifty minute phone call. But, you know, writing was easy. You could write all the letters you want. All your mail was was. Capable of being open, except legal mail, they were never allowed to open legal mail. But they could search any in mail, incoming or outgoing, if they wanted to. They didn't necessarily do it all. But I was able to write letters. And again, the local newspaper got a hold of my story about here just this this fellow from Dover is. A- in, in death row in Arizona, and without the case, and bite marks were a new new story in, in the 90s. So there was a lot of media coverage around my my town, there where I was, and, and a lot of people that knew me knew my family. I went to the same high school my grandparents went to, the same church my great grandparents went to. So you know, that small town, everybody knew everyone. You had a reputation the day you were born, based on your last name. You know. So there were folks that were concerned about you know my family. I, I mean, I went to school with kids and that that parents went to school with my parents. Uh, so so that that kind of led to a lot of people that were concerned about me and for my family back in Pennsylvania. How how are you doing? How's Ray doing? Uh, those type of things. So so that was one thing to, to to keep in touch with the outside. And as you said, I needed to stay busy. I needed to do something. Uh, you know, again, I'm I'm an active person. I guess you'd say more of a type A personality. There's Thing. There's probably a lot more than A and B personalities, but uh, I mean, I, I was an active person. So being able to help somebody, being able to do something, being able to keep my mind all it, and letting my family know that I'm okay, don't worry about me, uh, were all very important to me and, and my survival and, and my personal well-being. So so this seven-year-old obviously is much older now. Have you, have you stayed in touch with that uh, that person? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I missed, you might have missed that. Uh, that was my seventh grade teacher. Oh, I'm sorry. I see. I I misunderstood. Okay. Yeah, my I, seventh grade teacher wrote me. Now, again, that would have been back in like 1970 or something. and he would have been my teacher. And here it was, you know, 22 years later. My seventh okay. grade teacher is writing me on death row. Okay. So, uh, okay, I, I got gotcha. you. So, I understand you were stabbed, and we're we're going to continue this on uh, on uh, part two of our interview. And I certainly want to know what happened exactly. But thank you so much for uh, coming by on Bright Guys' one-on-one bandwagon. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I look forward to uh, maybe getting hold of you and the organization that you're with. We didn't really get time to talk about your uh, the affiliations you're with but uh, maybe down the road we'll have some of your compadres talk about their experiences and and, uh, their crimes that they didn't commit Well well, thank you, Brian, for the opportunity again uh, uh, it was a pleasure uh, to share that with you and uh, to all your fans and and the podcast listeners that are keep on trucking, thank you for what you do Thank Thank you so much, yourself A a really good day and uh, you stay safe and uh, we will definitely talk to you down the road Whatever I can do, I appreciate it. Love and respect to you all. Love and respect to you. Thanks, Ray.